This is the Rising Tide Startups Podcast, where we chat with startup founders from all over the globe to help you escape the cubicle and begin your own startup journey. Make sure you take notes. Every episode of Rising Tide Startups is sponsored by Podbrand Media. Let Podbrand create and host your company-branded podcast. Learn more at podbrandmedia.com. This is Kevin Pruitt with another episode of Rising Tide Startups, and my special guest today is Marin Smiljanic. Is that even in the ballpark? Yeah, pretty, pretty close to the ballpark. Yeah, yeah good job, Kevin. Okay, you get one shot at, at this, so please tell us the real pronunciation. It's uh, it's Marin Smiljanic. Okay, well, I, you know what? There's nothing like going to the source for the for the real deal. So, Amara, thanks again for joining us today. I'd I'd love for you to introduce yourself, but we have a unique way of doing it here on Rising Tide. I I just ask people if you and I met at like a networking event, how would you introduce yourself to me? Right. So basically, like I would I would first off go with you know my sort of background in life, which is I'm I'm an engineer, a software engineer, a programmer, whatever, you know, glorified name you want to put to it. And uh, basically, I had sort of the combination of exp diverse experiences in both startups in the earliest stages, from my own to, you know, other startups that I've been in, all the way to big tech companies like Facebook, like Facebook and Amazon. Yeah. So essentially, you know, I, I mostly like working on, you know, AI related stuff, difficult algorithm, algorithmic stuff, um, distributed systems and so on and so forth. And so my current role, like after all this, you know, roller coaster is that I'm the co-founder and CEO of OmniSearch, a next generation search company. So did I hear on a previous episode that that your father also had a software company? That is actually true. Yes. So this was one of the main motivations for me to go into entrepreneurship. So my dad, he used to run a software company for like 20 years b b before exiting it. But yes, like growing up and seeing him do this basically motivated me to, you know, was one of the main motivators that that got me into the whole game. So obviously it's Eastern European origin that the name is so what country particular was it did I, did I also hear maybe croatia yeah gracious gracious just about right you might be a, a little bit confused by my clean english but uh um, oh, no. <laughs> we, we did we, we did we we did learn it you know when when we were very very little but yes gracious my home country it's actually also for omni search where the engineering team is based in so this is where i grew up this is where i went into high school like one of the greatest high schools anywhere in the region with a huge focus on math and computer science mm -hmm. so really really good and to college too and then after college well also during college for internships but later on i went to silicon valley and then to canada for for basically all of my career now I, i'm trying to guess here like robert hershevac from from like <laughs> shark tank there's yes. got to be a common common heritage there Yes, yes, yes. I, I believe if I'm not mistaken, I'm not sure whether he was born here or whether he was born in Canada, but definitely same roots. So we had a we had another founder on uh, just recently within the last month, I think that uh, that has a startup with it that helps Ukrainian really tech mm -hmm. developers, you know, find jobs. And mm -hmm. I mean, Eastern Europe is such a hotbed for tech. I mean, just I it's, agree. A, yeah. it's amazing that, you know, you just 
you hear about, you know, just different areas, but I mean, there's so much coming out of Eastern Europe, you know, that is, that is so cutting edge. So why is that? I would say because like the, the the engineering education and the math education generally STEM is, is at a very high level. Mm -hmm. And especially since, like I said, you know, I mentioned our high school, you know, which is really one of the, one of the best ones. But essentially, like the, this kind of education kind of on the, of the more hardcore type in STEM areas begins fairly early on. And so by the time people are out of college, they already will have had a certain amount of experience mm -hmm. in, you know, yeah. STEM areas. And so that I think is the most important asset that like all, all of these like Eastern, Central to Eastern European countries have, you know, they, there there is also the flip side, which is that, you know, definitely not even close to US levels when it comes to sales and marketing talent. But then again, you know, this is something that, I think will will come through right. you know through the passage of time since you know everyone is now exposed to the top level startups everywhere in the world and to the resources and so forth. I, I think you just need a little bit more muscle memory and a little little bit more people who have been there and done that. Well, there's certainly the 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 earth is flat. You know, the the there's a global village. I mean, it is with the advent of the internet. I mean, it's it's like you know, country boundaries have have fallen. You know, and work is asynchronous. You know, twenty four seven type thing, and you can work from anywhere. So, it is it is amazing to you know to look back at at kind of your your you know fairly young journey but i mean so much was packed into such a, a short period of time i mean you've gone from big tech to tech startup and walk us through just the the major differences in those two environments so i think oh there's there's plenty and i think there's even plenty between like big tech and you know working get smaller but high growing startups and then even more when you when you work for your own startup so I think that you know one of the one of the cool things in in a big tech company is that you you can specialize more like you can really mm -hmm. develop expertise yeah. you can dive deeper into an area like for instance you'll have AWS which is you know my alma mater so to speak I out of all the organizations I was in before starting my own startups that's probably the one that I ident identify the most with and there like basically it's it's an exceptionally good school university even for for developing distributed systems and designing distributed systems and making sure that you know you design systems of machines of computers that are globally present globally available that right. you know handle hundreds of thousands of machines that handle like i don't know millions of requests per second and so forth and so that kind of a specialization you will not get at a startup i believe um, so these going deeper into these kind of areas, that's more of a big company thing. And it it can be wonderful. Like to me, although I was there for only three years, I was still very much, you know, I, I still love this aspect of it. The downside, of course, is, you know, you, you I would even say overly specialize, you, you mm -hmm. develop your your mental model gets trained too much and the specifics of, yeah. of the company and even the, the the organization within the company that you have and that risks you know at the limit not being very transferable to other places you also do kind of feel like being a small wheel in a mm -hmm. huge machine a huge organism so with a startup like when when you're doing your own startup all of all of that goes away you're definitely in the jack of all trades mode 
Like if you're, say if you're the CEO, which is like the most general position, you got to be good at hiring people. You got to be good at tech. You got to be good at selling, at least reasonably good mm-hmm. at, at all of these things. Good at fundraising uh, if you're going the venture back route. Right. So, you know, all these things factor into startup success and it's a very, very different story. But again, I do feel you get more control over your own destiny. You get to pick your own people. You get to pick the projects you you particularly like and are motivated to work on and so forth. So two very different worlds, each with its own set of benefits. I had told the blessing and a curse. You know, yeah, everything that has a blessing and a curse side to it. And and if I may, like, I, I, would, I wouldn't be so religious as to say one is definitely better than the other. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't even, you know, go down, go necessarily down the impact route and say, oh, you're definitely going to have more impact in a startup. Well, not necessarily, because yeah. maybe that was the case 2000 to 2010. You look at 2010 to 2020, odds are, you, you know, if you were working on AWS or on one of the AI companies, uh, big ones, chances are that you would have had more of an impact than working for a startup. So this, again, like p- p- the pendulum swings in in different ways, and you got to like read the moment and see where it is. So it's it's interesting. I mean, I've, I've interviewed you know, more than 300 people on this podcast, you know, over the last five years or so. And the thing that that I, is really interesting is how many people have come out of like, you know, the, the corporate side of things into startup world. And there's a there's a long list of people that did it just out of necessity. Like mm-hmm. they had an idea, they kind of wanted to launch something and, and they just overnight became a business owner. But the problem was that they weren't really entrepreneurial. You know, they were literally just a business owner. They were they were just the CEO, you know, overnight, but they didn't have that kind of that genetic disposition that says, you know what, I can make that shift in in lifestyle, I can make that shift in expectations. I can become the boss where I used to, you know, take orders in essence, you yeah. know. So that's a that's a pretty momentous shift what's been one of the biggest hurdles that you've you've had to overcome in making that move well i think that there is there is a couple of different things like first of all and i think this is like the first the first filter that disqualifies a whole lot of ideas or you know business ventures and this is you got to have what they like now even kind of you know ad nauseum call a founder market fit Mm-hmm. or founder product whatever variant of that you you may have heard which means like th- th- this has got to be a product that the founder has you know so- some connection to both emotionally and from a you know from a talent perspective from an experience perspective this there are exceptions to this like for instance when the 19 year olds build Facebook or Snapchat or stuff like this. Although even there I would say that it's underrated how how much how much of experts they were in in these mm-hmm. areas but okay like say that there are some exceptions usually you'll need to have something that really keeps you motivated and uh that is a problem that you can see yourself working on for for you know 10 years so that i think is the first the first hurdle that you that you got to clear this has got to click secondly i always found it that and you touched really really well on this which is you need to manage the expectations 
and you need to be able to, um, you know, work with reduced salaries for a, mm-hmm. for a fairly long time, usually. This was definitely including your own, (laughs) definitely including your own, especially your own. Yeah, especially your own. That's right. (laughs) That was the case for me when I (laughs) when I left Amazon. So um, you got to be used to that. And so I I generally my my strategy has always been to you know keep the keep my lifestyle less opulent than it could have potentially been, just to keep that sort of an option and not to not to you know fall too far down if I needed to make these sacrifices. But yeah. I think, yeah, it's like frugality and being okay with, you know, lower earnings as well as having that connection to the problem. You you mentioned something just just kind of in passing that I, I don't want to fly by the the whole idea. And, and I've had it because we've t- had this conversation in so many interviews, like how important is it for the founder to be passionate about the problem he's trying to solve or she's trying to solve? And it's it's split. There are some that go, ah, hey, entrepreneurs just see opportunity. They see opportunity to, you know, there's there's product market fit. They don't care if they're selling widgets or weather forecasts. I mean, it doesn't matter. They just it, it's the it's the game. You know, it's the journey. It's the it's the hunt. You know that they're in. And others are saying absolutely, you have to be passionate about it because there will be a time that you don't want to get out of bed. There will be a time that you're facing an insurmountable, you know, seemingly insurmountable obstacle that you say. I've got to have something other than just the drive for more money or the drive to succeed that that carries me. What? How would you answer those two? That is that is a very good point and a very complex question. I think that you know, um, I'm not going to religiously d- discount either either of these. I'm kind of of the spoken opinion, like a like, true politician <laughs> this is it's not not by any not by any natural inclination towards that hopefully, hopefully. Yeah, right. hopefully. Would, would you would you vote for me no but but so and i say it because of this i'm kind of of the opinion that traction heals a lot of motivational problem mm. motivation problems like i've i've seen people that have you know built businesses that i i i would never go into they're just like yeah. they made it work they made it work they built large organizations around it and it it's working great for them but i don't know I, i'm still kind of more on the passion side like i've definitely felt that you know Everything that that I did was, you know, very, you know, algorithmically oriented, AI oriented, and so on and so forth. So those were the things that resonated with me the most and where I thought that I could add the most value to, you know, if not the world, then at least some some reduced uh, interpretation of the world. So I would lean more towards the the passion side. Because it is I, it is yeah. difficult to get out of bed if you if you're not feeling anything about the problem. But it's more yeah. than the problem; it's the team, it's the the state of the company, and so on and so forth. So different factors, but more on the passion side for me. You know what you just said there is is really a great add on that says it's not just about the the product; it's not just about the service. It is also about the team. It's also about yeah. the the company you're building and the community you're building around that, whether it's a client base and all those things and you know kind of intertwined into one and right after we uh, hear from our sponsors here we're going to take a little a deeper dive into OmniSearch and the team you've built and now here's a quick word from one of our new sponsors on rising tide startups 
Have you been wanting to start a podcast, but not sure where to start? Well, now you can start a podcast in less than 24 hours. I'm David Ezel, and I'll walk you through all of the things that you need to get started today. Things like how to choose the right microphone, how to edit your audio, and how to find guests and build a pipeline of future guests. This course does a great job of keeping things high level while also diving into the things that keep most people from starting. Even better, if you use the code RISING at checkout, you'll get 20% off your purchase. But that's only if you use the code RISING at checkout. What are you waiting for? Start your podcast today. We are back and we want to take a little deeper dive right now into OmniSearch. So, Maren, talk talk us through the company, the founding of the company, you know, what kind of got it started and where you are today. Yeah, no, totally. So, um, basically, the, the main motivation the main spark sort of that the led to OmniSearch was when I was at Amazon. So um, I was on fairly technically complex teams, right? And so what we often needed to do is we had this internal portal that had tons of training videos. And you can imagine these were like long videos, you know, these could be an hour long. They were very densely packed mm -hmm. with technical content and so on and so forth. And the main problem was you couldn't really look up information inside those. Like you could search for a specific video by title or something along these lines, but you couldn't really find anything inside them. Like you couldn't look up, you know, a single little piece of information, go straight to where it was explained consume that little snippet, and then be on your way doing something more productive. And so we figured that this should actually be solved and, you know, packaged into a product and sold to companies. So, you know, this is kind of in stark contrast to many of the search players. When I say search, I don't mean like Google and Bing right. and DuckDuckGo. I mean more the, the business-oriented search solutions. Mm -hmm. um, that had been traditionally very much focused purely on textual data. And so for us, our main value proposition is not only, you know, the use case that I outlined, but we'll parse, we'll index any type of content and make it searchable just as easily as text. So imagine you're you're running, say, a Coursera. Wow. Imagine you're 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 running, say, a Coursera. And again, Coursera is not a customer, but you know, just illustrating it. But basically, um, what you could achieve by implementing OmniSearch into your platform is imagine a search functionality where you have a student that is looking for pieces of information. They just type something in. They immediately see exactly where it is in videos, in lectures, in handouts, in presentations, and so forth, and they can jump straight to it. So fundamentally different different um, search experience, far richer, far fuller. So, you know, th this is the kind of thing that we want every site, every platform in the world to have. That that is that's absolutely amazing. And I, I'm going to show my ignorance here for just a moment. And you, you, you know, you quickly correct it, but I'm picturing almost there has to be like a transcript that's running behind video content. How does it, without revealing any company secrets, mm -hmm. I mean, how does it, how does it, it's easy to see how it would search text. It's mm -hmm. much more difficult for the, uh, you know, a layman like myself to, to understand how you would search video content, mm -hmm. you know, with the same accuracy and the same, mm -hmm. you know, do you, you understand the question? Yeah, of course, of course, of course. So, we like th there's actually a name for this stuff which which is called multimodal search 
And this is something that's, you know, been pioneered only in the past couple of years. But the essence is you have, you know, you either have types of data that can easily map onto text. So this is text itself, it's audio, it's documents that get OCR'd mm. yep. and so on and so forth. But um, you then also have the more visual parts, like this is, for instance, getting, you know, indexing the objects from a video or indexing text that appears in a video or indexing, you know, logos or people or something like this. And so this basically what is the underlying technology behind that is called vector search, which is essentially something that's only been I think really in the in the spotlight for the past couple of years, maybe even last year. I mean, maybe like five years, but it only became a big thing in the last year. But basically what you'll have there is you'll have an underlying neural network that, you know, works on multiple types of data, including text, and that is able to kind of cross-reference these things in a in a very intuitive way. And that, you know, yeah, that, that's figure amazing. out, yeah. So basically, it transforms um, all the search queries into very simple geometric representations, like you're just doing nearest neighbors, essentially. Right. I mean, it almost, Through in layman's terms, it's almost like reducing it to like binary, like almost a code, you know, that, yeah, that it can it can read. So is the is the vector search primarily for like copyright infringement? Is it? what what's its main use case i would so i would i would put it like this you when you imagine how how you're searching on google which is like you'll you'll input keywords and you'll get results that have have these keywords so what vector search does is it allows a lot for it is less accurate i would say than these kind of traditional search methods but what you what you get with that is a lot more tolerance to fuzziness, tolerance to, you know, typos, and also easier handling of more conceptual queries. So like, you know, vector search is extremely broad, but, you know, you can expect that you, you'll have, say, documents that talk about cats and dogs, and that those will be returned when you query for animal, right? right. Because right. It, it understands the relationships between these things. And then also you have you know, the visual parts, which is that, you know, you can write in dog and you can actually fetch pictures of dogs. You can say dog jumping through hoop or whatever. You can find those pictures as well. And so you really have, it's it's an extremely widely applicable search technology and you have it all over the place. I think even Google uses it under the hood for certain things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I... I mean, I, I can see all kinds of use cases, even medical records and, and yes, you know, just absolutely. those types of things that are, you know, you would want to quickly search in, like you said, a multimodal fashion. But yeah, um, it is, it seems like high tech, but it, it has a broad, we just yes. mentioned a broad use case. So what have you seen? Like, when was, when was OmniSearch launched and what kind of growth have you seen since, since that, since its inception? Yeah, so we launched in 2021, like late, later in 2021. We were formally incorporated in April 2021. 
And we've seen some really good growth there. So our initial vertical, this is kind of why I always go back to Coursera or whatever equivalent cases. Our first vertical was online education. Mm -hmm. And so there we we were able to get, get our first traction, get our first several dozen customers. And yeah, we, we've really been seeing awesome growth. I think that in 2023, so since the start of 2023, we more than tripled our MRR. So that's already something really good. And yeah. we're we're seeing some very good growth. And also we've we've now recently expanded to another key vertical, which is media. And that's deliberately very broadly defined because you have broadcasters, you have streaming platforms, you have publishers, like you know, imagine a Wall Street journal or journal or something like this. But media is a huge, huge use case because the, the video search capabilities that they need, they're more advanced than any other vertical we've seen so far. Does YouTube have this capability? YouTube, so the visual parts, no. Searching transcripts to some extent, meaning for a, for a fraction of their videos, I don't think they index all of them. For the visual parts, I don't think so, at least not from what I've seen. But regardless, YouTube isn't really oriented towards business. Like they, they wouldn't offer this as a as a service. So that kind of makes it. So I, I have no doubt that Google has a lot of the technology under under the hood, but they're just not making it available to businesses. I'm just thinking though, just the the depth and breadth of search capabilities. If you somehow married OmniSearch with YouTube's database, yes, I mean, I just the absolute, I mean, exponentially, you would change the search function, you know, on, on Google and, you know, in any search engine and YouTube being, you know, what the second largest search engine in the world. I mean, basically it's behind amazing. Google itself. Yeah, behind yeah. Google itself. So, so I'm trying to make that happen, and I get 10% of any any partnership deal you yes you come if... up with. So, <laughs> I don't have a finder speed. Let's get the, get that deal done and then retire. <laughs> exactly. um, but That's yeah, right. no, that, that that would be great. Right. I hear the the uh, Croatian coast is a beautiful place to spend the re your retirement years. So, there, there's been a lot of ongoing uh, vitriolic debate around the prices, but uh, <laughs> let, let us hope that they that, that they. Uh, normalize. <laughs> I certainly get it. Certainly get it. Well, this really is geared toward helping startup founders, helping those that either have done it or they're in the process of it, or they're sitting in the cube thinking, I've got to break out of here and do something. So uh, we always want to leave them with something really tangible with a couple of of really great nuggets of, of wisdom, you know, from our guests that the things they have learned and kind of being a little ahead of the listeners on the journey. So wrap us up today with like one or two things that you think are really germane to just startups in general, just mm -hmm. founding startups and leading teams and creating companies and things that you might would be very helpful regardless of the industry. Mm -hmm. So I would say always pick your, pick your partners really well. Mm. Um, because th this has to be somebody like you'll spend so much time with them and so much, effort you know working towards the same goal with them that this has to be something that clicks both on a technical and skill level but also at a personal level right so i think that's super important so if you probably like don't jump into it with somebody you haven't known for a reasonably long time but yeah definitely do your vetting do your due diligence there other thing i think that definitely like the passion part 
regardless of the counter counterpoint to that is still very important. So I think that finding a problem you'll be passionate about will help you get out of bed more easily when things aren't going great. And, uh, you know, I, I always going a little bit on the, on the more practical nitty gritty side, I would say like try at least to some extent to have some sort of a safety net. So for technical founders, this will usually be like you can apply to a top tower or Upwork or some other, you know, freelancer marketplace slash agency, whatever you want to call it, where you can basically move around your availability as you see fit. And then you can take on projects if your you know, runway for the startup runs dangerously low. So that's actually a trick that I used. I didn't do a whole lot of projects, but it was very important to know that I had this right. in it. Now, right. I can't talk with a lot of authority about non-technical founders because I don't think it works quite as well for them. Mm-hmm. But maybe this is like a productive direction to think in. Yeah, I... So it's it's interesting. I mean, some are some are like, no way, burn the boats. You are all in. You know, you <laughs> burn that safety net because you got to have the, you know, the fear of failure. That's like barking the, the wolf at the door. You know, so to speak, well, the to, fear. To, oh, to the fear of you. failure is the fear of failure is strong enough. But the, <laughs> isn't this thing, thing like the the like Tyson's guy said? You know that you know fear is like fire. It can cook your dinner or it can burn your house down. So I. I I prefer to keep it at the cook your dinner level. That is that is so true. That is so true. Well, Marin, it's it's been a real pleasure to have you on the on the Absolutely. podcast today. Thank you. Is is there anything that we haven't talked about? You just just a really quick thought you want to wrap us up with today, and just let people know where's the best place to find you. I think the only thing I can you know I can say to you know people that are you know earlier along in the journey is definitely consider doing startups as a you know legitimate career mm. option i think it's if done right it can be far more fulfilling than a, than a big company job yeah. and yeah just give it a shot don't be awfully afraid of failure and yeah so best ways to reach me um, my email marin at omnisearch.ai follow omnisearch on linkedin connect with me on linkedin or twitter and yeah happy to you know share any advice or you know say any answer any questions that you know founders earlier on in the journey might have very happy to do that always well, man, it's been a it's been a pleasure to have you with us today, and it's just been a great great chat. And I've really enjoyed just hearing your story. And you know, we chased a number of different rabbits in different directions, but we wrapped it up in a bow at the end. And I want to have you on in a couple of years after you sign that big deal with YouTube, and uh, you know, we can we can hear how that transition awesome. went. But, but just thank you again for just taking time this afternoon in your busy schedule to really just to play your part in helping all boats rise in a rising tide. Marin, thanks again. Have a great great evening. Thank you. Thank you, Kevin. Great talking. Thank you so much for inviting me. I hope you heard some great takeaways from our guests today. Make sure you reach out to them and thank you again for playing your part in helping all boats rise in a rising tide.